This is Infertile Millennial, a podcast where we chat all things infertility, IVF, and surviving your fertility journey. I'm Emily Orlando, reminding you that you're not alone. Let's chat fertility. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Infertile Millennial. I'm Emily Orlando, and today's episode is extra special because we have real women sharing their real experiences with infertility. Today's special guest, Kate, decided to join the Brave Babes Club and share her experience with PCOS, rescue IVF, and how she copes with infertility. She'll also be sharing a lot about how she communicates with her husband and how they've been able to support each other through this journey. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast and share your journey, you can email me at emily at infertile millennial. Before we get started though, I have a major announcement that I've been so excited to share with you guys and now I can finally announce that Infertile Millennial is opening its shop doors online on May 4th. As many of you know, infertility is a struggle that my husband and I have been very open about. My passion for spreading awareness, breaking the stigma, and sharing our journey is very near and dear to my heart. As someone who struggled with infertility for six plus years, I wanted to dedicate my platform to create a sense of community, allow those struggling to feel less alone, and make coping with infertility and pregnancy loss a little easier. Shop Infertile Millennial is a dedicated gift shop to show your support, send a little sunshine, and offer encouragement to someone you know who's struggling with infertility or miscarriage. Shop Infertile Millennial launches on May 4th, which you'll be able to shop at www.infertilemillennial.com. You guys can stay tuned to get some product sneak peeks by heading over to Instagram and following us at Infertile Millennial. And without any further ado, let's welcome our special guest, Kate. First of all, thank you for taking the time to come on here and share your story. I think it's really brave of you to want to do this. I know a lot of people, they want to share, but they're too afraid to, or they just, they're not really sure if they're ready. So I think it's great that you're sharing this with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction to you, how you and your husband met, when you guys got married? So we started dating our junior year of high school. We've been together ever since, so we're going to be together for almost 13 years. And we got married in October of 2017. So we were together for about nine years when we got married. Okay, nice. So um, how quickly did you guys start trying for kids? Um, We pretty much started the night of, you know, we were like, I came off birth control the month before the wedding. And we were like, you know what, let's just like, let's not prevent like we were just like, we're newlyweds, like, let's have fun. So we never like we weren't like actively trying, but we did not prevent it from happening at all. Okay, yeah, I feel like a lot of people that's how they typically start is let's just see what happens. And then, you know, then things start getting more serious. (laughs) So <laughs> how long were you trying before you realized that it was taking longer than expected? Um, a year. So in October of 18, I was like, hmm, I was like, I, I was like, this is weird. I was like, you know, a year and nothing. And I had only gotten three um, periods in that year. So I was like, there's something wrong with my body when I was so used to getting them every month because I was on birth control. So I was like, what's going on with my body? I was like, it shouldn't have taken this long to become regular. So I um, went to an OB and then they recommended me to a fertility specialist at that point because they were like, we don't know what's going on. So what ended up happening along that time when you went to go see a fertility specialist? So when I went to go see the fertility specialist, he diagnosed me with PCOS within like a couple weeks of having, um, you know, just doing like a series of tests. So how did you feel when you were diagnosed with PCOS? I was actually really relieved with it because it had been so long of going back and forth to doctors for so many years. Intercourse was actually very painful at times. And the doctors like were prescribing me, you know, different birth controls, creams to like help with like numb you know, my, like down in your private area. And they even went so far to say that I was like allergic to my husband who like, you know, at that time. Yeah. Like they're like, Oh, maybe you're just like allergic to him. And I was like, what does that even mean? And like, they never did any like tests on it. And then, so like I said, I was just felt so relieved when I was diagnosed with PCOS. Cause like, all right, now I know I'm not crazy. And there's an answer. 
Yeah, I, you know, I actually feel you with that. Um, we have different forms of infertility, but I, when you say you felt relieved to know that there was something, I completely understand what you mean because when we also tried for a year and then we were diagnosed with male factor, it's weird to say that you feel relieved to hear that there's something wrong, but it's like you have an answer. So I totally understand what you're saying there with that. Could you maybe explain to those listening who might not understand what exactly PCOS is? So PCOS is um, it's the you know abbreviation for polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I have a high level of testosterone um, than estrogen. So it throws off your cycle to help you relieve that egg every single month to make you ovulate. So I have what my doctor calls lean PCOS because I don't have all the like significant side effects to it. So like, I don't, um, so I'm not, I don't suffer with the obesity side cause you can suffer with obesity, um, male pattern baldness, acne, and I don't have that. I just have irregular periods. My testosterone's high and I have infertility and irregular periods. So that's where that diagnosis came from. How long do you think that you were struggling with it before getting diagnosed? Since a teenager, because I remember, you know, being like to my mom before, you know, I had sex for the first time. I was like, mom, I was like, I'm going like months without my period. I was like, and they were so painful and heavy when I would get them. I was like, there's something wrong. And she was like, all right, like let's, she took me to the doctor for the first time. And the doctor was like, well, you know, birth control will fix that. Like she can get her period every month. And it was just like, and that was just like a cover up, you know, it was like, there was no answers. There was no test as to why at 16 years old, I wasn't getting my, you know, cycle every month. Yeah. That seems like a red flag for sure. It's interesting how, and this is really common. um, I know a lot of people who ended up struggling with infertility, who doctors don't take women seriously, especially when they're younger and maybe not trying to have kids yet, but I feel like as women, we understand when there's something wrong with our body, no matter how old we are. <laughs> even uh, even with when we were so young, first starting to try, the doctors didn't take my husband seriously when he wanted to get tested, which I think is crazy. It's like if you want to if you want to get tested or you think there's something wrong, people need to start listening and taking people seriously for sure. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's sad that you know, like we know our bodies too. <laughs> What, so, so the symptoms that you had were just that you were having irregular periods and pain. How frustrating was it for you when you were younger? Have doctors not listened to you? It was frustrating. Like I knew that I I knew my body and I had gone to probably, I think it was four or maybe five different doctors, like just even like a regular OBGYN. Cause like at that point I was so young, we weren't trying to have kids yet, but I was like, there's something going on. I was like that I'm in this much pain. Like I, you know, was in the hospital a few times for cysts that um, burst. I was like, and still then, even being in the hospital in the emergency room, they still didn't diagnose me or test me for PCOS. Wow. And yeah, and it was just like it was so frustrating being young and was like, what's going on? And like, you know, it's just I knew my body. I knew there was something going on. And like I said, just finding out at 20 seven that I had PCOS when I could have found out so much younger is just beyond concerning to me about how many other women are out there that just are misdiagnosed or just are not taken seriously. Yeah, I that's definitely a problem. It's crazy that it took that many years for you to finally get a diagnosis. And so like one of the things I feel like I try to say to people too, no matter how young you are, is always be your own advocate because at the end of the day, it's your body, you're in control, and you know that there's something wrong. But the fact that you went to so many doctors and went to emergency rooms and no one was taking you seriously, that makes me a little angry <laughs> just thinking about that. Like, I, you know, when I was like younger, I was like angry, but not as angry as I am now when I was like, oh, like maybe I could have started doing stuff to like prepare my body for when I wanted to have kids. You know, like, was there something that I was able to do? Was there something I was able to change? Like, and that's like, so now that I'm almost 30, it, I just am so annoyed and frustrated because like, was there something that I was able to do or prevent for now? You know, cause I was, yeah. you know, early twenties at that point when I was going back and forth and now here I am and it's just, you know, just learning. Like I'm just learning my body now at almost 30. So when you got diagnosed with PCOS, was there any treatment that they gave you to help with this? 
Yes. So they prescribe me what's called metformin, and it's actually for people who have diabetes, but it's been linked to um, help with PCOS because of the insulin resistance from the testosterone being high. So they prescribe me that. I've been on that ever since. I get my cycle every single month now, like I would say, quote unquote, naturally, because it's still being brought on by medication, but not birth control anymore. And so it's helped women get pregnant, um, you know, because they ovulate every month. And being on it has has definitely helped and changed, you know, my life. Um, My hormones were way out of control beforehand. I was like angry. I was sad. I was experiencing all these like roller coaster of emotions before I was put on it. And now I'm like a stable, like stable human being. That's nice to hear. So they didn't affect you in a negative way. They actually really truly did help you in a positive way. Yes. Well, at first the side effects were really horrific, like stomach issues. It was just like a negative, um, you know, but once it took about three weeks for, you know, the nasty side effects to go away. And then it was, it's been smooth sailing pretty much then. So it's, it's nice for the medication. That's good. I'm glad that you were able to find some sort of sense of like relief in some aspect of this process. So what ended up happening once you got on this medication? Did anything change? What ended up happening with your journey? Being put on metformin is when I started the whole fertility journey on trying to get pregnant with my fertility specialist. They prescribed me three rounds of Plomid with the trigger shot and um, to help you ovulate. And those three cycles, nothing, it didn't work. I didn't ovulate and didn't, couldn't get pregnant. So they then switched me to letrozole and the trigger shot. And that was my first cycle on that. So fourth round altogether. And I landed up pregnant. And shortly after I had a miscarriage a couple weeks later. How far along were you when you miscarried? Uh, a little over six weeks. And how did that affect you? Um, that was one of the hardest moments of my life. Um, just what you tried so hard for and, you know, your body changed one from the medication and then your mind and you're like, oh, this finally happened. And you know, like you think you go through like fertility treatments and like they don't prepare you that it might not work, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And so you took this medication, you're like, yes, I'm finally here. I'm pregnant. And then all of a sudden you're not anymore. And it took me a little while. I was in a dark place for a little bit. It was hard to get out of bed. It was hard to, you know, see your friends and family members who are able to do it when you can't, like your body just wasn't able to do it. So it was hard for a little while. Were you prepared that you were going to miscarry or did it happen just completely out of the blue? It just happened out of the blue. Like I got a phone call from my doctor and was like, your levels um, dropped more than half, more than half like with one of my um, blood tests. And I was like, oh, (laughs) all right. I was like, never, you know, expected it. You know, I was prepared for it, you know, like, like self-consciously, like they didn't like explain it to you, but I was like, self-consciously, I was like, oh, this is a thing and it could happen. And so, Mm -hmm. but it didn't make it any easier to be like self-aware, but like, you know, cause like I said, they didn't talk to you about it. Like they just never say like, oh, this could happen. Yeah, agreed. I They do obviously tell you like, oh, it's not a guarantee, but they don't really tell you a whole lot about the aftermath of, you know, and so like, do you, did they prepare you at all for what to expect or what to do? Or did they just kind of like leave it at that? They said that, you know, my next cycle, I would be cramping a lot more, be heavier than normal. And that was for sure the truth that did happen. And I was that cycle was very painful, you know, just Mm -hmm. crampy, nauseous, and the whole nine. What would you, what what are some tips of advice that you would give someone struggling with a miscarriage? There's no time limit for grief. You know, it's been almost two years because it happened, mine happened in July of 2019, and I'm still grieving it, you know, and maybe I'm grieving it because I still haven't gotten pregnant since. Um, But it's like you always think of the what ifs, you know, you think about the first holidays and, you know, there's no time for grief. And it's just just take time for yourself to heal and to because it's hard to accept it, too. So it's just kind of be be you and just be with your significant other and your partner through it because they're going through it just as much as you are. 
but in a whole different way. Like, I remember my husband, like, he was going through it. He just lost, you know, his future child. And then he saw how I was. So it broke him in more way than one. So just, mm-hmm. like, just be there also for your significant other because it's, it's hard for them, too. And aside from your husband, did anyone else know that you were going through the miscarriage? No. So we didn't tell anybody that we were pregnant because we were like, you know, um, just because they always say there's wait till the safe period <laughs> in the pregnancy. And so we didn't tell anyone until after the miscarriage. Do you wish that you had told someone else to have support or are you comfortable with the decision that you made? I'm definitely comfortable with the decision I made because I needed it just to be me and him at that time. And I know like the other people that love us, like our parents and, you know, friends would have been there for us and it would have been wonderful. But, you know, it's just something that we needed to go through together at that moment. And how did your family and friends react when you did tell them? Um, They were heartbroken because they knew that we were going through treatment and they were, um, they knew that we just wanted so bad. And so they were definitely upset for us, you know, and and very supportive. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you had support. Some people don't get that. And that's so important. Yeah, well, you know, we haven't been like, distance or from certain people, but we know who is going to be there for us and who's not. So that's who we really do tell a lot of stuff to, you know, like, you know, our whole journey. There's people that have been on this whole journey with us. And there's some people that only know a little bit of our journey. And it's just because of the support that we get, because we just can't deal with the negative and the not support at this time. I agree with you. I think it's really important to find the people who are going to give you the support you need at that time because you need a very specific type of support, not just like a halfway. You need somebody who's going to really give you all of it or just nothing and they just don't know anything about it, you know, because it's the half, the (laughs) in-betweeners is what I like to call Like they're just, it doesn't work. And so you need someone who's really rooting for you. What are some tips of advice on how to support someone through a miscarriage. For those out there who have never experienced it, what was what's something that you think is important as someone who miscarried? Be be honest, talk about it. At least like for me, talking about my miscarriage has helped me so much because I've talked to other people and then they're like, Oh, I went through this. Where like I didn't know that they had gone through it until I talked about it and I was able to get advice from them and to get guidance from them. So it's like there's a whole army of us out there, you know, dealing with miscarriage and infertility when honestly we shouldn't be, but you know, there is, and we have to just support each other and just, you know, talk about it and let's make awareness of it. Cause it's, I feel like there's such a taboo, like stigma behind bad stigma behind infertility and miscarriage. Cause no one talks about it. Couldn't agree more with you on that. So how long did you wait after your miscarriage before you moved forward? We started, you know, trying again, uh, you know, going through fertility treatments five months later. You know, we, you know, of course, again, like didn't prevent, but we didn't try by going, you know, to the fertility specialist. But it was five months until we did our next uh, medicated cycle. Did your doctors want you to wait or did they kind of just let you have it be up to you? They had it, you know, up to me. They were like, you know, it's your choice, you know, kind of come down from, they had to wait till my levels reached zero. So once they reached zero, then they were like, we can try again. And I just wasn't ready. And also we were um, buying a house at that time. Um, so I need to work and just like for the safety of me and a possible future child, you know, we decided we're like, you know what, we need to paint, we need to dust some stuff. And so we're like, just not at the safe. We just didn't feel safe at that time to even do it. So we just really waited till after like the house was done and not get over the miscarriage, but kind of accept it a little bit more. And so that was five months later. So once you felt ready, what were your next steps? Um, they did two more rounds of the letrozole because it worked the first time. Um, so they did two more rounds, same um, procedure, same medicated dose and with the trigger shot. And those um, didn't work. So then the next step was to do an IUI, the um, insemination. And I did one round of that, didn't work. And then the second round of my IUI 
I had produced way too many mature follicles. I think I had like 15 of them. And yeah, and like my body, because they changed my medication to Gonalef. So like my body was like, oh my gosh, I love this medication. (laughs) And so my doctor was like, either we cancel this cycle, because like, it's not safe for your body. He was like, cause you can have multiples. He pretty much like compared that it could have been like an octo mom situation <laughs> because wow. he was like, that's the best way. Cause he's like, you have so many mature follicles. He's like that. This is what can happen to you. And so he was like, either we cancel it. And then he threw the words rescue IVF at me. Are you or someone, you know, struggling with infertility shop infertile millennial is a dedicated gift shop for women and couples struggling with infertility and pregnancy loss. Help show your support, send a little sunshine or show encouragement to the infertility warrior that, you know, shop infertile millennial launches on May 4th at www.infertilemillennial.com. And then he threw the words rescue IVF at me. And I've never heard of that. I have never heard of that either. What exactly is rescue IVF? that was, we had like two hours to make the choice if we were going to go through an egg retrieval from like, cause this was on a Friday and like my egg retrieval was going to be Monday. So like, oh, and they're wow. not open on the weekends. And like, so by the time they close, we're like, we need to make sure like you guys can schedule your like egg retrieval surgery on Monday. So we had two hours to make that choice. So how difficult was that for you? I feel like that's a big decision to make in a short amount of time. It was huge because normally my husband always came to doctor's appointments with me. And this day I was like, don't even worry about it. Like he had, he worked overnight. So I was like, stay home, sleep, catch up. You're going into the weekend. I was like, just like relax. And so he didn't come that day. So like the one day he didn't come is when they were like, oh, like, here you go. Here's like this huge decision you need to make. So like I said, he's sleeping. So I'm trying to call him to wake him up (laughs) to like make this huge choice. Like it was like the way I look at it is like that only would have happened to like us. Like that's just like who we are, like, you know, and, you know, we did decide to do it because we're like, again, like why, you know, thank goodness we are so fortunate that our health insurance covers IVF. And so we decided to go through with it because it's not like we had to dish out so much money in two days, you know, and so that is, so we did decide to go through the egg retrieval for that cycle. I think that definitely makes a much easier decision to do IVF when your insurance covers it, because I think a lot of people don't do IVF because a, it's a lot of money to just dish up and then the fact that you had to do it so quickly so I'm glad that your insurance covered it would you have not done it if it didn't cover it no we we probably wouldn't have been able to just because it's you know it was just such a short you know like I said we didn't even talk about IVF so we never even thought about the financial burden that it could put on us you know and you know like I said I didn't even know our health insurance covered IVF until that day you know, like I knew yeah. they covered infertility, you know, treatments like this, you know, like Clomid, Letrozole, but I didn't know that they covered IVF until that moment when they were like, oh, well, here you go. So what ended up happening with that round of IVF? So with that retrieval, they, I get, my doctor explained, I ended up with no eggs um, in any of those follicles. And they said that it was probably because of just how abruptly they had to change like my medication, like they had to stop me from ovulating. And then they had to make me ovulate. So they said like, it might just been the whole crazy change in hormones and medication in that short amount of time, that that might have been the reason why I had no eggs. But there's no and like full guaranteed answer as to why I had none. Did you have to do any type of trigger shot injection before or did they just have you do it naturally? Uh, nope. So um, the, I forgot the name of the medication. So they stopped me from ovulating, you know, and then um, the 12 hours before, or sorry, um, 
two days before or day before, sorry, they gave me the trigger shot to ovulate for the egg retrieval. Did you have to do it at a really weird time? Yeah, I think I had to do it at like one o'clock in the morning, which was yeah. like, <laughs> well, you know, I had to wake up and had to set my alarm and I was like, oh, this, I was like, this is weird. That's what a lot of people I feel like don't realize that's, it's one of the most, there's so much anxiety around it because you want to do it right. Did you feel that way? Oh my gosh, every time I was like sweating. I was like, am I going to inject this into the right location? I was like, yeah, you know, am I doing this correctly? I was like, is it going into the right, like, you know, spot? And, you know, and I was so nervous. Every, you know, and I've done it, the ovul- you know, the ovulation shot maybe like six times now. And it's still nerve wracking every single time. Yeah, luckily our, our trigger shot, I think was at 10 or 11 p.m. on a Friday so it wasn't weird at all but I was like imagine if it's at like 3 a.m. or like you know I would not be able to sleep that whole time so what what ended up happening with your next rounds of IVF because you mentioned to me in a previous conversation that you did a few more so the way I see it is I've done like two and a half cycles of IVF because the first one was an egg you know an IVF rescue then I did the first one and then the second one they changed my protocol um, for the, you know, for the first one, they changed my protocol, you know, they actually put me on stims, they did the whole thing. And that round, I, they retrieved 10 eggs and four out of the 10, um, were viable after day one. And then by day six, none of them had made it. They all, you know, were poor quality from what the doctor and embryologist said that they were all, um, quality and so then you know we had to start all over again so then you did a second round after that yes so the first one was in july of 2020 um and then we did our second one in um november of 2020 and so that round you know they changed my protocol again you know they put me on like baby aspirin they put me on um what they call Deplin, they put me on COQ10 to help with egg quality. And so that round they had retrieved 11 eggs and only one made it to genetic testing. With that, we got a result and our embryo was mosaic. What is a mosaic embryo? Because I think I've heard that term before, but I've never actually understood what it was. So mosaic is where they find normal and abnormal abnormal cells so um in the genetic screening so they said they tested like the placenta um and that's what it was um so they said that it has a higher chance of not implanting or a miscarriage sometimes mosaics can correct themselves when they are transplanted yeah i've heard that um a lot of people say don't worry sometimes about having embryos that are lower grade Um, because they can end up, once they're in the environment they need to be, it can just like, all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm I'm doing great now. I can grow here. And so (laughs) that's what our doctor explained to us, but ours was a high level mosaic, which means it had more abnormal cells than normal. So he suggested that we don't transfer it because the risk of miscarriage was so much higher or it not correcting itself to have a child with some sort of like disability. So he didn't suggest it. He was like, you absolutely can. He was like, it could correct itself, but just, you know, on the safer side, he did not recommend it. So we opted out not to do that. I mean, I can't even imagine how difficult of a decision that was for you. Did it take you, how long did you have to decide to transfer it? Cause was it a fresh transfer? Or no, frozen. It was a frozen one because it was um ge- uh, genetically tested. Yes, so, okay. you know, um, so they froze it. You know, we had our follow up appointment just to see how it was recovering. They, you know, how give us the results, of the genetic um, screening. And it didn't take us very long, you know, because we, um, like I said, we we're, we're trying, we've been trying for so long that we didn't want to go through that heartbreak again. You know, it was, we had already accepted that none of our embryos made it, you know, and because um, we actually were told that none of them made it. And then the next day they called us and was like, you know what, we gave it one more day and it grew, so, you know, like, and so we had already accepted that it didn't. And they were like, we sent it out for genetic testing. So we had already come to terms that it was okay and that we like, we accepted it. 
So making that choice with a mosaic embryo was just not that it was easy, but it just it just made sense to us not to do that and put our bodies and our emotions through that again. Yeah, I think whatever you need to do or whatever feels right is what you should do because everybody's going to feel differently about, you know, it's there's a lot of decisions that you have to make during IVF. It's not just a straight one-line road for everyone. I didn't realize that going through my first round. I thought, oh, everything, it's just exactly the way they lay it out. Your schedule is your schedule and nothing changes. And then you find out, oh, actually, <laughs> there are so many ups and downs throughout this process. And then in, there's so many decisions that you have to make. And so, and I feel like you, your journey, you had to make a lot of difficult decisions. Yes, at times, you know, but just my husband just he I'm the more like you know the rush like let's just do this like let because I want it so bad and my husband's like take a deep breath let's step back let's look at the whole big picture and let's just see because like I was I got the um results first for the mosaic and I told him I was like oh well like he said we could transfer it and then like my husband went to the next appointment and like he explained it to him and my husband's like did you hear how he said it's like abnormal and what the you know side effects could be in long term and I was like yeah but he goes and he's like you know he's like let's just think about it and talk about it for a little bit and then he like you know we've talked about it for like 10 minutes and he made me see that it was you know not the best action for us. I've always said that IVF is a very big lesson in patience because there's, I was not a very patient person before starting IVF. And I'll say if one thing came out of it that was good is that I've learned how to be patient and just take every day as it comes because you just never know what this journey where it's going to take you. So I feel you on that. Oh, let's just do it. Let's just like, you know, try and see, but no. And, and, and then again, it's really nice that you have such a supportive partner who can help talk you down or just kind of make you see things the way maybe that you're not seeing them and kind of clear your head a little bit. Cause we're all, we're, we're going through all this stuff emotionally, physically, it's hard sometimes to see clearly. So it's nice that you had a partner who can kind of help you through all of that. Yeah, it really is. Um, I always say like, I'm so lucky. I know so many of us are going through it, but you know, just having that supportive partner is just amazing, you know? And yeah, you know, I wouldn't be able to get through half of my days if it was not for him through this, you know, journey that, you know, neither one of us ever thought we would be going through. Yeah, it's really nice that you are both supporting each other because I think that um, you have to have that support during this journey on both sides because you're both going through it, but the female is going through a little bit more physically and emotionally. But at the end of the day, you're both going through it. So it's so nice to have support going both ways. Um, I did want to ask you one question about your PGS testing. Uh, did your insurance cover that or was that something that you had to do out of pocket? That was out of pocket um, for us, you know, so that um, was pretty expensive. You know, um, that was so far, you know, again, we were so lucky. That was the most expensive part so far in our infertility journey um, was paying for that. You know, it was so we're in New York, you know, so, you know, it's pretty high, you know, fertility cost here, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and just all that testing. And, you know, I think it was probably around, you know, 2000, like with everything for that, you know, with again, tested it being frozen, the transportation, you know, then like, quote unquote, babysitting it, you know, so. Yes. There's all these extra costs that they throw at you. I'm like, what? <laughs> Somebody has to babysit it. And it's like, okay. <laughs> uh, it's crazy, you know, but it was something, you know, our first round of IVF, we decided not to do um, genetic mm -hmm. testing. But then with the eggs being abnormal, you know, um, bad quality, um, we were like, you know, let's just get them tested. Why not at this point, you know? And so we were prepared for that, you know, like I said, so the first one we were like, eh, no, we've been trying for so many months without it. But then when that round didn't work, the first one, the second one, we were like, let's see if we could try to get answers as to why it's not working. Why, you know, what's going on between my, my eggs and your stuff. And, you know, and like, we just got a mosaic. We didn't really get answers, but at least we didn't 
you know, go through a transfer of a, you know, non-tested embryo. Yeah, we're in that boat where, um, so our first round of IVF, we got like, I think nine embryos. And so we got really lucky with that, but we've done two transfers of four total embryos and none of them worked. So our doctor at first did not recommend it because he said, you guys are both healthy and there's just no, he didn't see a reason to it. Now, going into our third transfer, he said, I kind of wish we would have tested, but that's, you can't do anything about that. So we'll do another frozen transfer. And then at that point, he's like, if that doesn't work, I think you should start over and test. So I think if this doesn't work, that's kind of where we're headed is he wants to know, is it your embryos or is it something else going on? But that's a hard decision to make. Some people, they don't do it because it's not guaranteed even if you do PGS test. I've seen many women do it everything right and it still doesn't work and that's what's so hard you know like it's a lot of money and then it's not guaranteed (laughs) so many people think like oh ivf guaranteed like you're gonna get pregnant and you're having a baby you know nine months later and it's so not true like ivf does not guarantee a baby that's what you know i want to put out into the world and be like no like it, it doesn't mean that we're gonna have a healthy baby you know one day because it you know like I said earlier I've done quote-unquote like two and a half rounds now of IVF and of 21 eggs there's we don't have a baby and we don't Mm -hmm. even have frozen babies you know and so here we are going into our fourth round now I feel like your your story is really great to hear because I think yeah, a lot of people don't realize if they've never been through it that it's not a guarantee and they don't understand how it's not just, there's not just one thing that can happen. There's so many different things that can happen along your journey. And so, and that's what people don't understand is it's not like, oh, just go put an embryo in me. It's like, well, but there's so many steps to get there. And then even if you put the embryo in, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to attach. And even if it does, like there's just so many ups and downs with it. There really is. There's a lot. Yeah. So what are your next plans now? So we are actually switching doctors. So we're going to go to our second um, doctor. And, you know, um, so just to kind of see what else they recommend, you know, as this is actually our last chance of having, um, you know, babies, you know, with IVF, because, you know, so New York State, we're very lucky if you have a really great health insurance they actually cover your first three rounds of IVF like the egg retrieval part and then after that runs out your insurance covers but we have a deductible once that runs out so this is our last chance of having um you know a, a baby through a fertility treatment by IVF so um we were like you know what let's just explore all options at this point because there's nothing to lose <laughs> you know because we've you know done everything we can so we're going to see a different doctor and just to kind of get their opinion and their um, advice on what we should do. Like our doctor told us to do another round of IVF. But um, with the third round I went through, I got really sick after. I was, um, I got an infection. I had um, over hyper, you know, over stimulation. So I got really sick after. And I if this doctor doesn't recommend it and my doc, you know, our first doctor does, then we'll see a third opinion just because I don't want to put my body through anymore if it doesn't have to, you know, you know, because how sick I was after last time just really scared me. And, but I had also done three egg retrievals in one year. So you had OHSS afterwards? I did on um, the third round. What were your symptoms from that? Ugh, I it just like everything just hurt inside of me I had fevers I had um an infection um just super bloated you know you know um it was just it was just terrible it was like you know I don't even remember a lot of it because I kind of blocked it out because it was like kind of traumatizing like that pain to have gone through like I had gone through two egg retrievals before that and they were painful of course you know you just got cut open you know like and but that one was just like I didn't get out of bed for a few days like I just was super sick you know I was throwing up which I never had before you know with any of the other retrievals and it was just it was bad that must have been really scary for you because I mean 
IVF alone, all that stuff is pretty painful. Um, the retrieval, I guess it's in itself, I would say was the most difficult part of it, but I, I can't even imagine having OHSS afterwards. Yeah. It was scary, you know, to have, to have that feeling. Cause I was like, what is this? Like, what's going on? I like, I just like, I knew there was something going on in my body. And then I was like, I looked at my husband. I was like, there's something wrong with me. I was like, there's something going on. I go like, it was like hard to go, like to go um, pee. Like you just like, I couldn't do it. And I was like, there's something going on. And, you know, I called my doctor and the nurse was like, oh, you probably have this and, you know, OHSS. And they had me come in and they're like, yep, you do. Oh, did they warn you beforehand that you could have it? They did. They definitely prepared me for it. Um, you know, every retrieval, they like gave me my like going home package and like what to expect, you know, and to see. And like, so I knew to call them with like how I was feeling. So like, and that's why, I, you know, I called them because I was like, all right, this is not normal. And then they like, I said, they had me come in. They looked me over. They, um, we did an exam and then they're like, all right, it's time. You know, they're like it. And then they just gave me like, um, you know, like, they're like here's heat and pad, you know, eat like high fiber foods and you know to help out with that so that's pretty much just the treatment is just kind of like hot pad yeah and like pain regimen you know that's what they did for me because I guess like mine wasn't like severe enough but it was you know for me it felt severe because I had never felt pain like that before ultimately what led you to your decision stopping your next round is it's because of insurance is that what you're thinking yeah, for so this round we have, you know, our insurance with our deductible will co- it's enough to cover this fourth round. Um but it's still we're still not sure if this is what we want to do because of like I mentioned like how sick I was the last time because I'm like if there's I don't say no guarantee cuz it's never a guarantee, but if there if we're just going to go through the same process again like our eggs being poor quality and, you know, and I know there's no way to test that beforehand, unfortunately, but it's just, I don't, right now, I don't know if I can go through those emotions again of mm-hmm. being disappointed and sad and angry. And because even though, like, you were, even though I wasn't pregnant, like, I still grieved those eggs being poor quality and not making it. Like, it was like, and people, like, and the way I explain it, it's like kind of like, it's not having a miscarriage all over again, but it kind of felt like that. Cause I was like, this was like the what ifs or the, what could have been. I was like, cause you know, I was like, they put our DNA, my egg and his sperm like into, and they made an embryo. And that's, you know, I was like, and um, I just don't know if I can do that again. I a hundred percent agree with you on the embryo loss. Um, I didn't understand when I was going through my, uh, failed IVF cycle that I was grieving, but it's so, it's different for someone who's never been through it. It's different than somebody who's just naturally trying and they didn't get pregnant that month because we actually know we created something. And even if we didn't end up creating an embryo, uh, everything we went through, it's kind of like, man, I just did all that work and nothing. And so you are still grieving something. It's still a loss. Yeah. So how has this journey impacted your marriage? Has it at all? Is there anything that it's done for you, good or bad? So we have definitely had our ups and downs, you know, um, because of it, you know, because sometimes you feel like it's a full-time job. Infertility is a full-time job. It kind of takes over your mind and your heart and your body because, you know, there's like medications like in our fridge. It takes up half our refrigerator. It takes up our counter space with like the sharp containers. Like, you know, it just consumes your life and not that you may need to. Um, so we've definitely had our ups and downs, but to be completely honest, I think it's helped us so much because we both have learned so much more about each other than I, like when we that we didn't know already. Like we thought we knew everything about each other because we've been together for so long. But this is just completely changed our aspect of how we look at each other and how we feel. Um, Our communication has grown so much because I can't make a decision for us with this and he can't make a decision. This has to be us together. So we definitely have grown to be way better and just even mature to be like, 
matured, we both have matured so much too within ourselves and within our relationship. That's really good to hear because I feel like this journey can, it can be really hard on your marriage or it can bring you a lot closer. And I agree with you. I feel like for, for us, at least it improved our communication. It brought us closer together because it taught us a lot about each other throughout this and but I but but you know there's there were definitely downs you know like just you know there's a lot of tension on you when you're going through everything so you might like get really irritated about something that has nothing to do with your husband but then you're like ah like lash out a little bit and you know I've been there and I'm like I'm sorry it's not you I'm just very anxious right now or whatever and but I think ultimately yeah communication it can it's so helpful during that process and just being there for each other talking and stuff that is what's going to help you get through all of that it's so true it's so true and I can definitely feel you on that like just lashing out you know like and I'm like I'm so sorry I was like I'm having like a mental breakdown I'm like it's not you it's like it's literally me I go I was like just please just let me I was like I'm in my feels and like so when I like say like oh I'm just feel like in my feels he's like all right I know like to back away and just let you cry or yell or just kind of just go through your feeling at that moment and so we've definitely you know um you know we like I said when I say I'm in my feels like he knows now so it's like a a little code word that like it just happened that he knows like to kind of like back off that's nice that you can communicate that to him and you can have that sort of code word of I'm sorry like and you you, it's you have a way to express it or a nice term so he can understand what you're going through because sometimes we're not great at communicating our feelings so I'm it's good that you're really you're able to do that um it's also good that you can acknowledge when you're feeling like that because I think some people they they can't or they don't understand that they're feeling this because of infertility or because you're going through treatments. So that's really nice that you have that with him. It took a long time to get there. Um, it, you know, didn't just happen overnight. It was just more of like, cause I didn't know that I was feeling these ways. Like I, I knew it like self-consciously, but like, I didn't know how to express it. I was like, are these feelings normal? You kind of, cause you feel so lonely through this. So you're like, not sure if how you're feeling is how you should be feeling after, you know, and that's how I felt at first. And I was like, no, 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 this is my journey. I'm allowed to feel this way. And you know, and if you don't like it, then that's on you. Like, cause this is me, this is who I am and my journey. And I don't, please don't tell me how I should and should not feel. And so that's, you know, where I just got with, you know, not just my husband with everyone. I was just like, this is who I am. And, you know, just take it, take it for what it is at this moment in time. I love that. It's so important to own your emotions and be like, this is what I'm feeling. I can't control it. But communicating also is important too. You can't just be like, I'm just mean and that's who I am. But like saying, hey, I'm going through this thing right now. And this is how I'm feeling. Just, just so you guys know. (laughs) I think it's important to communicate that. Yeah, I love that. Any tips on coping with infertility for those going through it right now? Practice self-care. Go get those nails done. Get that massage. Go for a walk. Just take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically, you're, like, for me personally, like, I would just crumble and just get into a dark place. And being in a dark place is not helpful for yourself or for anyone around you. And again, that's just my experience. And I took, again, it took me a long time to get to being with my self-care and like saying no and to not go to things that, you know, like for example, like baby showers are super hard for me right now. And I haven't gone to a baby shower in like two years, maybe even three at this point. And I don't see myself going to them in the you know future if I'm still going through this. And it's not because I'm not happy for them. I'm just really sad for me. You, what you're saying, yeah, what you're saying, I feel like every woman I talk to who's going through infertility right now, their number one boundary is I don't do baby showers. I'm the same way. I've been that way since we started trying. I think I went to one baby shower in the six and a half years that we've been struggling and I left early (laughs) because, you know, I was like, you know what? I think it's time for me to leave, but I'm glad I went because it was a closer friend. And, um, but yeah, what you're saying, 
a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. And again, you know, it's just like the self-care, it's triggering. So I just try to avoid, you know, with going through infertility, just avoiding situations that I'm just not going to be happy. And, you know, I don't want to go somewhere and be a Debbie Downer or just be negative because that's not who I am. But sometimes you can't help it being in certain situations. And so I just try to avoid them because I don't want to put that on anybody else. And I definitely don't want to do that to myself and or take it home to my husband because I'm feeling a certain way because it's not fair to him. And so I just, you know, that's just a big advice for me. It's just, you know, advice from me is just self-care and avoid triggers as much as you can. Sometimes it's hard, but if you could try to, because it's, it's a tough journey <laughs> in fertility. Do you stay off of like Facebook and stuff for pregnancy announcements? So I actually deleted my Facebook because I was just like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I was like, it's just so sad and so heartbreaking for me to keep going on and seeing these announcements, which are so beautiful. And I'm so happy for everyone else. But again, I'm just so sad and jealous that like, I can't be the one to do that, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's just, it's just easier for me not to um, be a part of that right, right now. Like social media, like I go on Instagram and stuff like that, but just, you know, reading people's comments, it's just, it's hard. So, you know, I try to avoid it as much as possible. I'm, I'm the same way. I learned that uh, last year. I, I realized that a lot of my triggers were coming from Facebook, especially. So I was like, you know what? I need to, I didn't delete my account, um, but I take really long breaks. And if I want to post something, just if I have like an announcement or something on Facebook that I want family to know about, I will just post, but I will not scroll. I will only go on to post something and then I leave it there <laughs> and then I go away. Yeah, so that, that was my biggest, uh, one of my biggest triggers. It's like funny, like Facebook and to Instagram and it's just like Facebook's was such more of a trigger to me than Instagram for some reason it's the same people posting the same thing but I guess like you just like you don't see these long like you know descriptions of the posts and it's not as big as like you know an Instagram post for me at least and it was just like like you know I couldn't scroll through it as quickly as I could on Instagram yeah I agree Instagram it just has a different feel and it for some reason doesn't hit as hard (laughs) so I feel you on that well It was really nice having you on here. And I just wanted to say again, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, It just, I think that it's going to mean something to somebody out there. They might connect with a piece of your story or maybe your journeys are very similar, but I think it's going to be so helpful for someone out there. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you today. And, you know, like I said earlier, we're warriors and, you know, we have an army behind us, unfortunately, that we're all, you know, so many of us are going through it. But, you know, hopefully we all get our little happy baby one day. Thank you again, Kate, for taking the time out of your day to share your journey. I know that this is going to resonate with somebody somewhere out there. And if you would like to be included on a future episode of Infertile Millennial, you can email me at emily at infertilemillennial.com.